Welcome to the Dr. Dion Show, where real conversations about diversity matter. I'm an educator and consultant specializing in diversity and inclusion. In this show, I interview top experts and people like you and me, highlighting issues like race, gender, and disability. I'm here to create change, expand your understanding of what diversity means, and to continue the mission toward equality so that everyone has a fair shake. This show is not for the faint of heart, so put on your big girl and big boy pants and ride along. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Dion Show. I'm really excited. Today I'm joined by one of my, I guess, one of my diversity colleagues. We're both in the trenches. We're both uh, doing the work, the much-needed work, and his name is Mr. Rowdy Duncan. How are you, Rowdy? Fantastic. I'm really excited to be part of your show and to be introduced to your audience. So I'm really looking forward to today. Well, I'm so excited for you to come on. And I, as I said uh, in a previous conversation, I absolutely love your name, Rowdy. Can you tell me where that came from? What are the origins? Yeah. So um, there's three different ways that I normally describe on my name, just because I get a lot of questions about my name specifically. The first one is if I'm in a rush, um, people go, where did you get your name? Uh, and I'll say, uh, well, I was a hyper little kid, which was true. I was a very hyper little kid. Huh. Uh, the second level of the story that I'll share if I have a little bit more time is I was a gigantic baby. I weighed like 12 and a half pounds. Wow. And my mom was only like 98 pounds. So she was on crutches towards the end of her pregnancy. Wow. And I did punch and kick quite a bit. And so I think that is part of where I got my name. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my culture, we don't take the surname necessarily of your father. You take the surname of your godfather because uh, they're kind of the folks that set the lineage. And so um, I am of indigenous background. And so I am Taos Pueblo and I am Cherokee from the Texas region. And so um, I'll get into more of that later as far as why I do my work. But uh, my actual full name within my culture is Rowdy Sunray of the Good Morning. My um, wow. godfather's name, yeah, my godfather's name was Tellus Good Morning. Huh. And so it was funny because, you know, they call him Tellus. And it's so interesting because, you know, in English, tell us is like, tell us is two. That's seven. right. Yes. Uh, there, tell us is one word. And so he was known as tell us. And so um, I'm Rowdy Sunray of the good morning. And so the metaphor is supposed to be that I'm the little light that kind of like shines in through the darkness and wakes you up. That is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy the name. It works too. Cause I feel like, um, with my work and the things that I do, I do try to show and give people another way of seeing and experiencing the world. Mm-hmm. And so part of what I feel like my role is or my gift in life specifically, a really big part of my calling is um, kind of waking people up to the beauty, the vividness, the togetherness, the connection, yes. um, and how they can be all they can hopefully become. I so absolutely, that's, that's my that's, background. That's beautiful. And so there's something, there's something in a name, a, Mm-hmm. I, so it sounds like so you so you're named rowdy sunray of the good morning so mm-hmm. how, how could you be anything but that like like i, I know people are, <laughs> you know i just i just i just i just i love when when people name their children and i know this is also part of your indigenous culture but i think in general i think it's i think it's it's lovely um a name is very important when you, mm-hmm. when, you name, when you name when you name a child so, yes. so I, I i love the fact that you that, that you share that and so can yeah. you talk a little more about um just how did you grow up? You said you mentioned Texas. 
Yes. So I grew up in Texas and uh, a lot of folks aren't aware there's only two reservations in the entire state of Texas, which is a huge landmass. And so the fact that there's only two reservations in that area in an in a space where folks got relocated um, in the Trail of Tears Mm -hmm. uh, to the same type of area is kind of surprising. So um, but back in Texas history, there was a huge push when Texas was its own country to um, assimilate uh, native people into um, greater white culture. And so the boarding school movement was really big back then. And so I can trace my roots back to my great, great grandmother living in an area of Texas called the Big Thicket. Because that's just what it was known as, the Big Thicket area. And that's where grandma was. And she kind of got plucked out of the Big Thicket area. And there's a lot of interesting, like, superstition, both around in Native culture as well as in, um, you know, greater white Texan culture about the Big Thicket. There's a lot of uh, um, superstition, ghost stories, things like that mm-hmm. uh, uh, from that area specifically. So that's always interesting, I think. Can you, can you, uh, share, can you was, share an example? What, what, what kind of superstition? Well, I think uh, like the, it was seen more of the holy sacred space in indigenous culture. And okay. so uh, it was a, there was a closeness to um, the great spirit, a uh, bigger connection to a sense of oneness with nature mm-hmm. uh, and indigenous religion. Uh, we tore, like a lot of people think we're worshiping nature. I think it's better described as we're worshiping the together and oneness of what a systemic and holistic balance looks like. Oh, that's and lovely. so we're honoring the togetherness and how everything needs to really be in a holistic balance. Yes. And that we get to be part of that balance. Uh, and so that's why uh, we're really big on um, honoring anything that's given its life for us. So if we take an animal, like we always honor the animal, we mm-hmm. use as much as, animal, as the animal as possible. We have uh, traditions in that, like uh, we do try to harvest uh, older animals or younger animals that may not make it. Um, in hunting culture, in white culture, you usually see that they're trying to take the biggest and strongest thing. Um, we don't do that. We need to make sure that the herd's very well taken care of yes. because that's going to be our source of life. And so we worship more of that oneness. So we felt more that that was a sacred space for us just because um, we felt a better connection, a clearer connection in that area. And so that's why um, shaman type uh, medicine folk, uh, would uh, like see that space as sacred. Now within white culture, there's a lot of stories about um, ghosts and things of that nature, but I really think it's just because we were there and we were hiding just because we knew um, that's not gonna be like the most welcoming people in the world. Uh Uh, But also too, uh, when people start coming and occupying a sacred space, you tend to defend that. Absolutely. um, We fought with what would be considered guerrilla tactics, um, which, we're, I guess within our lens was like, well, why would you stand in front of someone that's trying to shoot you? You would hide, right? Like you want to stay alive. Yes, you would. Um, so uh, I think that kind of has some of, some, some, something to do with some of that stuff as well as uh, in native culture, it's not very, it's very, very common to adopt people. And so um, in Taos culture, um, it was not atypical to, um, adopt folks that had been freed slaves. And so uh, we would bring those folks in just knowing 
um, anybody can come in and connect to our culture and we're more than willing to do that stuff. Hmm. And, uh, it's just part of kind of what we do. But yeah, I think uh, that big thicket area being seen as reverential is part of some of us, some of white people kind of taking our legends and stories and then manipulating it, retelling that story and kind of maybe missing the point. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so my great grandmother was taken from that area and she was forced into boarding schools. Boarding schools are very sad because that's a form of cultural genocide. You know, the whole idea was to kill the Indian, save the man. Yes. Uh, which is really sad. Um, that never fully happens, but it's really hard because you indoctrinate someone into white culture, then you, um, and then they forced marriages. Uh, so my great, great grandmother was strongly encouraged to uh, marry my great, great grandfather. Uh, and they ended up having a decent relationship. So, so your great, great grandfather was, was um, a white, a white man. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. so, 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 so that would be, I'm sorry to cut you off. So um, it's fascinating to me. So, so getting, having, being forced to marry somebody outside of um, your indigenous culture, um, mm -hmm. then that's part of you, that's part, probably one form of indoctrination. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. And, 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 it's, and it's that forced assimilation that like forced integration into culture, um, that, as well as disconnection from culture. What does that mean in terms of forced assimilation? I'm, I'm... Um, so... So is the language, how, is it getting, getting rid of your, your language, getting language of traditions, uh -huh. um, basically like eliminating all parts of one person's culture and a forced taking on of a greater, I, I want to say, I guess like do, dominant culture yes. is forced upon that person. So they don't get to be or practice anything that of who they were are part of their generational understanding of who they were mm -hmm. uh, and more of a forced uh, embrace of this new culture. That happened pretty hard uh, around among most native people in Arizona. It's a little bit different because the Navajo nation was so segregated in land that wasn't wanted yes. by white folks that they kind of got to keep their own culture a little bit more. They weren't moved off their land into new spaces, which mm. was um, a little bit more unique. Um, but yeah, in Texas specifically, they really wanted to see white people and native folks um, intermarry. And some of that too is like, um, I'm sure you've heard in history about where they would do, um, I can't remember the name of the practice, but they would impregnate local people because then it's harder to break the cultures apart because now they have shared children. And so it's a way of taking over a space. Uh-huh, wow. So, um, but yeah, it's hard also to be a brown person performing whiteness. <laughs> Because white people are like, hey, you're not white. Uh, you don't get to, you don't get that card. You don't get to do that thing. The notion was if you worked hard enough and if you act white enough that it, your color wouldn't matter. Um, but unfortunately, we systemically, no, of course not. Uh, it didn't work for anyone. Um, it was just very awkward because um, given the mixed nature of all the children, we came out so different looking. Yes. Some of them were, some of us were like me. We, I mean, when I had hair, I had dark hair, dark features, darker skin. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'd have cousins that were red haired, blue eyed. Yeah. Um, but that's just how chromosomes work. Well, like, when it comes to genetics, and any card can play, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so uh, that's really complicated because then we can have um, cousins that do get full almost benefits of whiteness because they can pass and mm -hmm. they're not known. And then others of us that were taught to do this thing that just doesn't work because 
sadly systemic racism exists. Yes. And then, um, so my grand, great, great grandparents moved more into the city. Um, my great grandfather was a Pentecostal pastor. Huh. Um, and so, uh, you know, kind of like a more repressive religion, but also it has some supernatural elements that other Christian religions don't have. So they're very, they're very uh, into the Holy ghost. They believe in speaking in tongues and interpreting the tongues. Um, so is that, is that, is that kind of close to um, indigenous culture, indigenous thinking? It's closer. It's a closer manifestation of indigenous culture, but still it's kind of like it's monotheistic. Uh, It still has that, those notions of, you know, black, bad, white, good, dark, bad, light, good, um, which is problematic with skin tone stuff as well as people. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, there's aspects of that religion that, you know, still jive with me because I was like, uh, I was, you know, part of that was, is part of my background too, because that got passed on as well. Um, But then part of that doesn't make sense or doesn't work necessarily. Um, I like to share people. Like I'm a pretty big fan of Jesus. Jesus was a good dude, uh, and uh, and though he never like made a North American tour, as far as anyone knows, although I think Mormons, disagree. Um, you know, his standing up for justice, his uh, fighting for those that don't have things, like uh, those things really um, resonate with me. And so I do consider myself Christian, but I also still. Uh, practice parts of my indigenous culture I didn't get a lot of that stuff just because we weren't allowed to practice those things so I had to discover those things more on my own okay I was actually excited I wanted to ask you about that what was it like what was your experience like growing up so I grew up and sorry and and just expand so you you talked about the fact that you have darker features and um, you know you have this imposed um, notion of of what a, a white standard being the right mm-hmm. standard being you know you're better if you're if you're more white. So what was it like for you? How how are you treated? Uh, well, it left me without a people, which was hard. Huh. Uh, but I grew up in a, like a barrio neighborhood. Um, I grew up between Austin and San Antonio, and I was kind of adopted by Hispanic people, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that was difficult is I didn't speak Spanish, and I didn't know. Mexican culture because it's really Mexicans um, yes. like when I say Hispanic Latino uh-huh. uh, more Mexican oriented people but um, it was good uh, you know I got put in line by the the theas and the grandmas when I broke the rules I'd get my ass whooped wow. um, and that was kind of like part of the culture at the time uh-huh. but it was nice because it made me one of the one of the group mm-hmm. um, I didn't see or I didn't understand all things some stuff didn't make sense like I remember uh, learning about Dia de los Muertos and not getting that because it didn't make sense. Because you know, in Native culture, we didn't have pictures of folks. And Are you in, sure uh, that is sorry. Yeah, so Dia de los Muertos is the Day of the Dead. It's the remembering of those who are passed on and the legacy that made your family. Oh, that's so, when they when they they put on the skulls and and, all, and yep. okay, right. okay, now I get that. Okay. So I remember them explaining that to me, but it didn't make sense uh, because that wasn't something necessarily that we practiced. Okay. Um, because for them, remembering your lineage and your line and your people is very important. And for us in indigenous culture, it's more remembering the learnings, mm-hmm. uh, honoring the wisdom of others, of the wisdom of the elders. Yes. Uh, because, uh, and that was one of the coolest things about native cultures. Um, there's the opportunity to have a role for older folks, like older folks raise the younger folks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I think we're completely missing now in society. Yep. Like we, we watch old people in one place and young people in a whole nother place when they can intermingle. Absolutely. 
yes. and have this great opportunity to learn from each other. For sure. I'd stay young too, right? Exactly. Um, so, but yeah, I, I got adopted by uh, brown people in my neighborhood. And that was a revelation for me because that's where I learned you don't necessarily, well, it's always good to have a people and a family, right? Um, ideally, but it doesn't, if that's not a possibility, then there's the ability to be adopted by yes. someone. And mm -hmm. as long as they recognize who you are and don't try to make you different, yes. and they never did that with me. They mm -hmm. knew I wasn't of them. I wasn't with uh, all things of them. And so there was a together and separateness there. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that was a big lesson that I learned. And it's part of the reason why I do the work that I do now is because I really feel like anybody can be adopted now. Absolutely. And I try to show people how to properly be adopted and properly how to adopt others so they can be their whole best selves where they can identify the uniqueness of the individual and validate that part of them while also um, creating opportunities for connection. So, so I love that. So can you, can you expand on that? How, how do you teach people how to do that? And then I'm also curious um, before you answer that, can you just share at what, could you remember like a pivotal moment, a time, cause you said you kind of didn't necessarily um, grow up with the, with the, um, indigenous, um, traditions to the extent that you, that, that you, that you would wish, but at what point did you say, you know what, I'm going to seek out and learn more about my culture? That was in college. I went to the University wow. of Minnesota, actually, because mm -hmm. my parent, my mom had remarried and we'd moved up to Wisconsin. Um, but I was so excited because there was indigenous people around. So I was like, I can connect to indigenous culture. Oh. So, but that was funny because it didn't really work well. Um, I wasn't the same people as the um, Anishinaabe people up there. That's their okay. preferred name. Uh, they're kind of known as Ojibwe up there, Lakota. Okay. Um, but I couldn't connect to the traditions uh, and the norms. And the other thing too is the older I got, the more lighter skinned I became over time because I spent a lot less time in the sun and I just need a lot of time in the sun for my melanin to really pop the way that it normally would. Um, why, why, why is that relevant? Why would because, you have it relevant then? Because especially with the Cherokee nation and that Cherokee background, there's a lot of like white people or white folks that try to appropriate that culture and connect to it. And unless you really truly understand the history of the region, then you wouldn't know why and how there's still those connections in that way uh, and understand those things. But again, like um, we're talking about Plains people. And, and my more, most culturally relevant connection is with my Taos culture. And now we're talking about folks that own goats, folks that raised corn. I mean, completely different folks, um, hundreds of, you know, well, thousands of miles apart. And, you know, if you're just walking, there's no way you're going to interact with those yeah. two different separate groups of people. And then, too, I'm also trying to connect with younger folks whose identity is raising, rising. And they're also trying to find a beauty in who they are. And so they're really trying to perform indigeneity within their culture to the utmost degree okay. and still be accepted within a white institution. And I didn't have that thing or couldn't do that myself because I didn't have any connection to those things. Okay. And so I had finally found a mentor there uh, and he was teaching um, a Native American studies class, uh, American Indian studies, I think it was, uh, comparative religion type stuff. And he was helping me bring out my indigeneity. But the sad thing was, is he passed away at the end of the course. Oh, no. Um, so I was left somewhat undone. But 
Wow. But what was neat is in that experience, I understood it's not who you're adopted by. It's that you're adopted at all. Mm. And it doesn't matter if you can do or perform the expectation of the thing that you're supposed to do. It's yes. more about where do you fit in? Who do you connect with? Who gives you a sense of belonging? And because for me, it was a survival like technique. I needed to experience belonging from someone because I was the only one. Um, like, wow. like if I went to prison right now, I don't have a people to go to because there's not going to be like a native gang necessarily. So um, wow. in certain spaces where you need that sense of connection, like you have to find a people and thing to connect with. Mm. And so in school, uh, again, another institution, like it was me just finding folks. And um, I found folks in Wisconsin when I was in high school and then in college. And the funny thing is we moved from Minneapolis to here and they were just white folks, but they were from a bigger city and I had more of an urban background okay. and uh, they were used to diversity. So there was a, a white family, but they had grown up in um, Gurney, Illinois. And uh, that's kind of like a projects area yes. specifically. So they were used to a lot of diversity and we both relocated to a very, very white space in Wisconsin. And so we were drawn together in that we were wondering where the diversity was um, yes, we both really enjoyed um, 90s uh, hip hop music. Like mm -hmm. uh, the music of that time frame was really great because it was so positive, validating of uh, individual experience. You didn't yes. see, um, like, you didn't really see the gangsters, like, uh, or the the flashy, like, money spending, the degradation of women. Yeah. Like, uh, we we all had that kind of in common, so we found that that connection. I love that. that. I love that. Um, but yeah, we went. We all went to school at the University of Minnesota, and then we were looking for a not freezing place to live, and we all decided <laughs> to relocate to Phoenix. And that's so that's kind of what brought me there. Okay. Uh, and I'm forgetting the second part of the question that you Sorry, asked. Sorry, and I should I shouldn't have thrown two, two questions at, you at the same time. It's okay. Uh, so you, you talked about um, um, being um, helping people to. Um, I think you said to find, find the groups. You, it's a kind of it's yeah. thing. So how do you teach people to find groups and to be able to feel included in, 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 in a place? And, and I'm also curious to know, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm doing it again. <laughs> I'm going to wait because okay. I, I want to okay. go back to the workplace because I think, I think there's what, what, what you're saying here uh, mm. can definitely be applicable because sometimes, you know, we, we both know you can go into a new workplace and um, mm -hmm. you're the newbie, you look different, you don't know the institution, you don't have institutional knowledge, uh, mm -hmm. you're not treated properly, you're not, not necessarily embraced by people, and what do mm -hmm. you do? So I, I wanted to talk about that, but please, please share what you do with um, people that you, you mentor and, and help. So what I do is I try to find a space where everyone's most repressed identities are allowed to rise mm. in a space that's equally validated. Mm -hmm. And in that everyone has so many different facets of their identity, there's certain parts of it that they have to have hold closer to their chest uh, because it's not valued by greater society. I create example, a space. For example. Um, for example, it might be um, if you're bisexual and you can easily pass, uh -huh. right? So as a bi person, it's very, very easy, especially if you're dating someone that is of a differing gender to just look like um, everyone else uh, as far as the cultural expectations of how one's supposed to present yes. when I can really have someone dive in deeply into what it's like to be bisexual specifically, mm. then they can share 
the you know because bi folks are also somewhat persecuted by uh gay and lesbian people in that they're just supposed to pick a team pick a side really um yeah uh or that they're um just lonely just looking for love like there's really horrible stereotypes like um all they need is a heartbeat on a hole um which is just what so so that, that's kind of the idea that they're not picky. They're just lonely. So as long as the individual has a heartbeat and an orifice, uh -huh. then oh. they're potential partners, right? But people don't know about that pain that by people suffer. And until you get to a space where you can share, have people share the best as well as the hardest things that they have to deal with in an identity, yes. um, then things and notions get reframed, right? So with by folks, uh, what we were able to do is find a way to reframe that really almost being bisexual is like a superpower for love specifically <laughs> in that you have the ability within the context, at least of two genders to date and love anybody of either gender. Right? Uh -huh. So me as a heterosexual person, I'm limited in who I can date. And so if you look in the spectrum of sexuality, pansexual, is um, a person that's able to date both uh, folks that identify as male, female, as well as trans or, or, or intersex. Huh. And so they, if you were to look at it in the most positive of lights, they have the ability to love any human being. Wow. Whereas I don't, right? And so reframing that and showing people how to see the best of those things. Mm -hmm. Now everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. I never really considered that about like bisexual culture. Um, then they want to share the ups and downs of their most repressed identities and then they become equally validated and, and that's where belonging happens. Oh, I love that. And it's interesting that I'm a heterosexual person as well. And, 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 and I have friends who, who, who are in the, what I'm going to say, it's the LGBTQ community. So mm -hmm. just by that whole, um, I don't want to say label, but it's, mm -hmm. there is, there's, there is an, there is an implied togetherness in the, in mm -hmm. the, so what you're so you're actually you're actually sharing that um, that there that it's a lesson for everybody that because you mm -hmm. identify well I'll say for myself so if I'm a black person but not all black people are the same some people exactly. are from the Caribbean some are from from the, from um, the West Indies West mm -hmm. Indies like um, um, America Canada I'm Canadian so so mm -hmm. so much like in any other culture um, there's no culture that's monolithic I think that's right. a lesson for me. and so and yeah. then lesson for me is I was assuming that there was there was more harmony. In, in the LGBT community. Um, and that's, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, that, that whole notion of something about a heartbeat, I only have a heartbeat that's um, a hole in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's that's a little, really painful. It's a little, um, ooh, it's um, insulting. It's insulting. Yeah. I think um, I, I know enough through, through uh, associates with my, my, gay, my gay friends that, um, you know, that sexuality is on, on, on it, it can't be on a spectrum. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It can, it can be very fluid. Uh, right. For some people so to dismiss somebody's experience and and who they love i think that's um you know if you're if you're about if you're about diversity that's um that's not cool i don't like it's that very 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 yeah. painful that's, that's very, uh, and you'll find too in the lgbt community um when you start adding intersections of race and socioeconomics mm -hmm. um there's a real um whiteness is weird in that space um here in phoenix um there's the pride association here that does like our pride week uh, gets sponsored by the Phoenix police department and um, our LGBTQ plus folks of color are very, very uncomfortable with that 
because they feel like they're targeted, persecuted by the Phoenix Police Department. But whiteness is weird and it, mm. it works in very different ways. And so there's a group called Trans Queer Pueblo okay. that uh, went through and marched in the middle of the Pride Parade or the Pride Festival in Phoenix saying, this is not, this is us. We deserve a space here, you know, uh, and we're not comfortable with the Phoenix police being here because we feel persecuted by them. And we don't feel like you're supporting us in our struggle. And it got ugly. There was some really, oh, they were booing and yelling at them and telling them to get the hell out of here. Um, saying, uh, this is our festival. You don't belong. So you kind of see where that whiteness gets like intermingled within this thing. And, and it becomes really ugly. Uh, and it's one of those things that's ongoing. Um, I'm hoping to find a space and place to talk about it, but I'm also highly cognizant of the fact that, you know, I am a heterosexual, cisgendered, uh, very masculine male, you mm-hmm. know? And so I don't always know if like, I'm the best voice for that space either. I hear you. Well, the, the, the good thing is that you are well-intentioned, you have the educational background experience and you have a good heart and, and you're open. So I think um, I, I've, I've learned just, I'm sure you, you would agree, just being in this work, sometimes mm-hmm. even if you have a different identity, I think if you have that intent to really come to resolution and make things better, then I think um, you, you, can, you can definitely be um, a beacon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been able to use that part of of myself in that I have so many privileged identities when you look at LGBTQ plus culture mm. in that I can push that idea of white LB- LGBTness a little yeah. bit more because I'm not getting any benefit at all. Yes. And so when I speak, I speak as someone with the most privilege in all those spaces and places. Mm-hmm. So when I can push one of those uh, white identifying folks along that spectrum to say, Hey, you really need to make a space. You know what this feels like. Yeah. And the other thing too, is that when you look at Stonewall, like those were um, uh, like trans, like colored trans women fighting back against the police in the that's street. Right. That's right. You know, like yeah. that's where the movement came from. Like yes. you got to know your history uh, because, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it, but I've had people uh, tell me the story of what that was like. The, the trans uh, LGBT plus women of color fighting against police. Like, wow. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, we need to hear that story. And there's been a few um, movies made about Stonewall riots, but again, it focused on whiteness, not people of color. Yes. Like I would just be so incredibly, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that scene, you know, <laughs> of people being like, <laughs> I, I need to find investors, uh, movie, but God, like, I think when you see people that are that, marginalized uh-huh. finally fight for who they are and their capacity to exist in a space yes finally you know um i just imagine on the screen that it would just be something amazing and beautiful to see because sure. when it comes to people of color and um race like there's just not a lot of spaces for folks to get heard about um one of my heroes uh, i don't know if you've ever heard of him in america his name's Bayard rustin no, not he is uh, actually the person that organized the March on Washington where Dr. King had the I have a dream speech. Oh, really? Huh? But he was an openly gay black man back in the 50s. I did not know that. So he could not be the face of things because intersectionally, you could just call him a pervert because he loved men. Um, 
and not hear the amazing, beautiful things that he has to say. Wow. Uh, so that's a recommendation. Brother Outsider. It's a documentary. It's from, yes. Awesome. Uh, about Bayard Rustin. Unbelievable. I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And I think the lesson here too is when, when we, when we look at those types of events, um, to be cognizant of whose voice is being shared, who's, 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 mm -hmm. who's, whose lens are we looking through and mm -hmm. which voices are not being included in the process. Um, right. Because it's very, so it's, I'll, I'll share a quick little story. My husband went to South Africa. He had the, he had the, the pleasure of going there and, mm -hmm. um, it was very fascinating. He went there for work. And so, one day he was taken on a tour by a white Africana. And, mm -hmm. and so they went around different places. And the second day he was taken around to the same place in, in Soweto um, mm -hmm. by a black tour person. Yeah. And, and the stories were completely different. It, yeah. was, it was incredible. So, 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 like, so that I'm speaking to the point where it depends on who's telling the story that you get a different Absolutely. perspective. And so yes. it was. So he, it was. It was really amazing to him to to you know, to, to, to to see um, those 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 two very polarizing um, impressions of, of of a space where, where everybody lived at the same time at the same place. So um, yeah. so again, we need to be think critically of, of what we're looking at when we look at things that are presented to us and say, you know, who's missing, whose voice is missing. Um, yeah, I, I, agree. I, I love that. So can I ask you a question? You talked about privilege, and I know mm -hmm. that uh, you said. Uh, when you're younger, it was hard for you to be accepted and um, and difficult to um, um, assimilate. But you said now that you're a little, um, now that you're older, you can quote unquote pass for white. Mm -hmm. What is that like? And 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 um, most importantly, I would love to know because I'm sure if you can pass for white, that I, I'm mm -hmm. sure that you are privy to comments and conversations <laughs> that you would ordinarily not be able to hear if you didn't look like that. So can you share yes. that, please? Yeah, so passing privilege is a very interesting form and sort of privilege. And uh, if I ever were to do a PhD, which I don't know if that's in my future or not, I think I would do it on passing specifically because it's a very interesting phenomenon. Mm -hmm. um, what's weird is as, it, as you start gaining passing privilege, it's hard to see and it becomes invisible to you because you're not, you don't know when it's working and when it's not. Um, the way I've described it is you're invited into the party till you get found out and then you get kicked out. Wow. And so I preferred not getting invited in before rather than being found out and removed because that's very painful. Mm. Um, but it's hard because folks that can't pass do get upset that like I get the pass into the party and I get that too. Right. Wow. Cause like, you know, I get to spend some time there um, in that I pass and that I get around there. Sometimes I can exist in spaces long enough to find allies and remain. Okay. And that's something that doesn't always happen for other folks. But um, I become very aware of the fact that I can pass. But the other thing is it makes my voice incredibly unique in that I know what it's like to be marginalized. Mm -hmm. And because I look the way that I do, I'm heard differently. Yes. I'm by by other folks and i'm harder to dismiss um i understand the experience of whiteness because i get benefits or um i get um expectations of whiteness put on me uh and i'll push against those things but i always it's it's always how you, weird how do, you, how do you push against them 
So with that, uh, it'll be asking, well, why is this thing that way? Or why do you say this stereotype? Or where does this thing or notion come from? Or why is there not more books uh, from uh, historically marginalized groups available? You know, like in, in higher education, like I use that Bayard Rusted example all the time. Because uh, in Arizona specifically, we have some laws that are called no homo promo. It's basically wow. you cannot teach about anybody that's in the LGBT community in what's considered a positive light. What? Or you can be, yeah, it's actually a law and it exists in a couple different states. Sadly, Arizona is one of them. Wow. But in higher education, that's not a problem, right? And so it's a way of me showing how um, here's this amazing person and you, we don't get to know about him because this stupid rule exists. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the person that taught Martin Luther King about nonviolence. Uh, he was a big part of informing that moderate view that uh, MLK was hoping to to show people. He was the person that was the way of, that was like um, that helped role model so many of those things to him. Um, but we don't get to hear about him, right? And so I bring in those examples to other folks, and because I'm seen and heard differently, now it doesn't mean I don't get shouted down or squashed or ignored or kicked out. That happens to me quite a bit. But um, it's made me really good at finding coalitions. Yes. And, uh, and with, my, with my experience of being needing like groups to uh -huh. exist, uh, I also now know that if I'm going to create change with an organization, I can't do it myself. Yes. I have to find coalitions and a broad base mm -hmm. of people that are really hard to attack. And so I'm never the face or the one person that's doing something alone. I, I really that. try to be part of a coalition because it's so much harder to to kick out a group of people. Definitely the one voice. Silence or kick out one voice. And, and so um, I try to look for angles and opportunities. Uh, I try to look for values that I know people hold already. Like in that I get to be around the party, I get to hear about some of those values and traditions ahead of time and I leverage that stuff against people. Mm. So they have to hear me a little bit more or that it's so much, that cognitive dissonance hurts harder Yes. When uh, I bring things up in a certain way. So I try to find my avenue and way to push against those things. I love that. Um, Cause, cause but the other thing too is uh, I try to be someone that's hard to kick out. Um, Cause I was going to ask think, you. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There's a notion that's talked about in a lot of different spaces, but the word that they use for it is called moral authority. Mm -hmm. I've never really held a lot of power, but I have a lot of influence mm -hmm. and I try to keep my moral authority very, very high. So uh, I try to do the right thing, win and whatever I can. I try to uh, stand up for other people with, for no benefit of my own, win and wherever I can. And I try to do the right thing for as many people as possible. Um, and that's while also looking at who needs it. Okay, I love that. Yeah. I was gonna ask you uh, how you get kicked out because there are times people pass and they're just so happy they're, they're, they've made it. They, they think they've hit the right. jackpot. So they say that they don't say a word, they just play along. So it's right. not like you speak up and you challenge, uh, you challenge things as they come up and, and, you, and you hold people accountable, it sounds mm -hmm. like. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's extremely important, especially in this, in this climate. And, um, and if we're trying to make our intercultural relations better, then mm -hmm. it takes the courage to speak up and say, hey, mm -hmm. that's not cool. And, and yeah. when stuff happens. So yes. Um, I love the fact that um, 
I love that you said you, you look for angles and opportunities. Yes. Um, like I told you when I went and did diversity training with them, they were like, Oh my God, you're going to call us all racist. And I was like, well, you know, like maybe like you might do some racist stuff and I might have to tell you about it. I do that stuff too. Uh -huh. um, but more so, I'm here to talk to you about preconceived notions bias that leads to prejudice, that leads to discrimination, that leads to ism when it happens. Yeah. And you know, when I talk to police, I say, do you ever feel misunderstood by people? And they're like, yes, all the time. I'm like, oh, that's a stereotype, my friend. But like, you don't like stereotypes either. So let's do right. something about these stereotypes, right? So you have to find your angle so you're most heard. Lovely, I love that, I love that. And can you share more about your podcast? Yes, so the my podcast is called the Inclusive Activism Podcast, and the idea is that inclusion is something that has to be done. Um, there's another idea that's called love is an action word, and it must be it must be shown and done. Uh, inclusivism is the same thing. It is an active processes that challenges notions of who belongs and who doesn't, and it's always shaking things up. It's always making people a little bit unco uncomfortable. And then activism, also because activism is uncomfortable. Being an activist has that uh, yes. rabble-rousing notion to things. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a quote from Dr. King that if one is to be an activist, it's supposed to be an activist of love, right? Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate thing to activize or, or to advocate for uh, in a way or space. And so it's the idea that we always need to be pushing, trying, and we are activists, but when you act about, ask us about our activism, it's really to create a space of belonging for truly all people. Um, one thing that I wish we were better at is in, in our, with folks in our field is talking about how there does need to be a space in inclusive uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity for white people, because I don't know that they know what role right. they hold yes. in those spaces, but we couldn't kick them out. That's, right. um, that's just reproducing those uh, oppression tactics on a new group of people, and that's not sustainable over time. Exactly. exactly. Um, but we've—I don't know that we've been really great at communicating what that new role looks like and where they should be and how they should act. And uh, you know, that's been yeah. a problem. But <laughs> what I try to do is look at what does it look like to live a life like this. So um, I'll talk about topics of the day. Uh, one of my most recent podcasts was looking at. Um, a fine for racist calls to the police uh, and that that fine <laughs> should be uh, used. <laughs> so like with, uh, are you familiar with the barbecue event? Uh, yes, I am. So if there was a fine, that fine should be used to hold more community barbecues, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. where the money should go specifically. Yeah. Yeah. And then that person should also get some type of inclusion training so they understand how not to re reproduce those things. Because it's not the person's fault that they're indoctrinated with racist ideas. We need to create a space where that racism could be pulled out of the person because it's the racism that's the problem, not the person. They were just um, taught this thing. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, I know. It can get long and complicated. Yeah, um, I agree with you. But I think there's, there's, there's more, like there's, there's power dynamics there. There's, there's privilege in there. There's, of course. There's, yeah. there's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just, there's, I think it's so multifaceted, um, and 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 it's been rising. That's the the that's the sad thing. We've seen stuff with, at CBS. We've seen stuff in Starbucks. We've seen the right. barbecue event, the pool event. It's, yeah, it's it's um it's incredible. And I, I really think that the nine one one dispatchers need to be trained. <laughs> yes. And, 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 well, and, but I'd like to see there be some type of 
corrective action with there, the call. There should be. There has to be. Right. There needs to be. Um, but I also don't want to see a reproduction of just a fine that goes to like police or to a system, you know, because police sadly are used as the tool of repression for people of color specifically. That's right. So any, any, anything that they did to have to make up for the transgression should go to the people most marginalized. Right. So again, right. So with the barbecue idea, the fine goes to people to do more community barbecues, but then I also want to try to find a way to correct the behavior, not to just create a deterrent to the behavior. I want that person to think differently, they not should. just have been punished for acting wrong. Absolutely. But, but the, the, but, but, what, the point I'm getting at too, is that sometimes those people make those decisions to call the police and somebody dies at the end of it. So it's, I know. Not, so it's not just, exactly. oh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it can be, and, and there's no way that, that, that um, someone who loses a loved one as a result of some nonsense like that, uh, there's no way that they can be repaid. In, in, in any You're right. Way. That is absolutely okay. true. So and, um, and by no means am I taking away those. No, no, no. I, I, I do hear your point. So it's, it's, um, yeah. it, the whole thing, it's, it's just complicated. It's just, it's, it, it shouldn't be happening. I think we're oh. there. Um, but I do uh, agree with you that there should be some type of consequence for somebody who just decides, oh, I'm going to pick up the phone and just, I'm going to call just because I want to just call. And for, for, it just right. on. Like, can you use your words? Let's, let's have a conversation, show respect to the other person before it escalates right. to that point where you're, where you're calling somebody at CVS over a, a stupid coupon. Like, come on now. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So, but, then, but yeah, the podcast will uh, talk about whiteness, uh, talk about white fragility. Uh, I'll have folks like you on, which is a great opportunity. <laughs> Uh, we'll also look at aspects of personal leadership. So um, I talk about uh, the proper way to frame her heroism or heroics, mm. just because, you know, there's that notion of white savior, male savior, where you're doing things in the wrong way. But yes. then also there's times where we just pass people in need a mm. lot. And who are we passing? When did we pass? And what do they look like? I love and that. What is the excuse that we give when we don't? And so, um, you know. Love me. If you're going to be late and, you know, we've all been in, like, not we have all, but a lot of people have been in a situation where they're uh, been car broke down in the middle of the road, right? Mm -hmm. um, you have to move your car out of the flow of traffic. Some random person comes and helps you push, you know, and that feeling of that, like all of a sudden, how did this car get so easy to push? Who are these people? Where'd they come from? Oh my gosh, let me steer. And you get off the highway, but they're in a hurry too, right? So they just kind of leave really quickly. Yes. Um, we could be those folks, but we have to learn to see the problem better. Absolutely. We have to get outside of our own view of thinking uh, where we're too busy to make a difference. Because, I mean, seriously, what is that? Five minutes tops? That's if right. you were five minutes late and you explained, hey, I'm five minutes late because I did this thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's better than being on time. I, I agree with you. I love that. I love that. So, so your, podcast um, sound, your podcast sounds incredible. And uh, how can people find it? And so it's on any pod server that you're going to use. It's called the inclusive activism podcast. And um, so Google play uh, Apple podcast or anything like that. Also, I have a website, www.inclusiveactivism.com. So if you're more uh, like, don't have a pod server, or don't like using uh, phone technology, uh, you can listen to that stuff there. And like I said, we're just trying to find a way to make the world a better place while becoming better people. Well, I love that. And it's so lovely to have you on today. And um, I, I'm happy that uh, we are colleagues in the mission and, 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 and uh, trying to make things better. And uh, Rowdy Duncan, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Dr. Poulton. I really enjoyed the opportunity and I'm glad to now be able to call you a friend in the struggle.
Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Take care. Thank you so much. And if you enjoyed what you learned, what you heard today, uh, please contact um, uh, me directly, also to Rowdy as well, to, to um, offer your comments. And you can also write a comment on my iTunes page. Thank you again. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Thanks so much, Rowdy.